Chapter Eight of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Owing to the horse's nap by the roadside, it was quite late in the evening when they reached the town, and David saw the lights of his own neighborhood gleaming in the distance. He was glad it was late, for now there would be no one to meet them that night. His friends would think, perhaps that they had changed their plans and stopped overnight on the way, or met with some detention. Marcia still slept. David, as he drew near the house, began to feel that perhaps he had made a mistake in carrying out this marriage just as if nothing had happened and everything was all right. It would be too great a strain upon him to live there in that house without Kate, and come home every night just as he had planned it, and not to find her there to greet him as he had hoped. Oh, if he might even turn now and flee from it, out into the wilderness somewhere, and hide himself from humankind, where no one would know, and no one would ever ask him about his wife. He groaned in spirit as the horse drew up to the door, and the heavy head of the sweet girl who was his wife reminded him that he could not go away, but must stay and face the responsibilities of life which he had taken upon himself, and bear the pain that was his. It was not the fault of the girl he had married. She sorrowed for him truly, and he felt deeply grateful for the great thing she had done to save his pride. He leaned over and touched her shoulder gently to rouse her, but her sleep was deep and healthy, the sleep of exhausted youth. She did not rouse nor even open her eyes, but murmured half audibly, David has come, Kate, hurry. Half guessing what had happened the night he arrived, David stooped and tenderly gathered her up in his arms. He felt a bond of kindliness far deeper than brotherly love. It was a bond of common suffering, and by her own choice she had made herself his comrade in his trouble he would at least save her what suffering he could. She did not waken as he carried her into the house, nor when he took her upstairs and laid her gently upon the white bed that had been prepared for the bridal chamber. The moonlight stole in at the small paned windows and fell across the floor, showing every object in the room plainly. David lighted a candle and set it upon the high mahogany chest of drawers. The light flickered and played over the sweet face, and Marcia slept on. David went downstairs and put up the horse, and then returned, but Marcia had not stirred. He stood a moment looking at her helplessly. It did not seem right to leave her this way, and yet it was a pity to disturb her sleep, she seemed so weary. It had been a long ride, and the day had been filled with unwanted excitement. He felt it himself, and what must it be for her? She was a woman. David had the old-fashioned gallant idea of woman. Clumsily he untied the gay blue ribbons and pulled the jaunty poke bonnet out of her way. The luxuriant hair, unused to the confinement of combs, fell rich about her sleep-flushed face. Contentedly she nestled down, the bonnet out of her way, her red lips parted the least bit with a half-smile, the black lashes lying long upon her rosy cheek, one childish hand upon which gleamed the new wedding ring, that was not hers, lying relaxed and appealing upon her breast, rising and falling with her breath. 
a lovely bride. David, stern, true, pained, and appreciative, suddenly awakened to what a dreadful thing he had done. Here was this lovely woman, her womanhood not yet unfolded from the bud, but lovely in promise even as her sister had been in truth, her charms, her dreams, her woman's ways, her love, her very life, taken by him as ruthlessly and as thoughtlessly as though she had been but a wax doll, and put into a home where she could not possibly be what she ought to be, because the place belonged to another. Thrown away upon a man without a heart, that was what she was, a sacrifice to his pride. There was no other way to put it. It fairly frightened him to think of the promises he had made. Love, honor, cherish. Yes, all those he had promised, and in a way he could perform, but not in the sense that the wedding ceremony had meant, not in the way in which he would have performed them, had the bride been Kate, the choice of his love. Oh, why, why had this awful thing come upon him? And now his conscience told him that he had done wrong to take the girl away from the possibilities of joy in the life that might have been hers, and sacrifice her for the sake of saving his own sufferings, and to keep his friends from knowing that the girl he was to marry had jilted him. As he stood before the lovely, defenseless girl, her very beauty and innocence arraigned him. He felt that God would hold him accountable for the act he had so thoughtlessly committed that day, and a burden of responsibility settled upon his weight of sorrow that made him groan aloud. For a moment his soul cried out against it in rebellion. Why could he not have loved this sweet, self-sacrificing girl instead of her fickle sister? Why, why? She might perhaps have loved him in return, but now nothing could ever be. Earth was filled with a black sorrow, and life henceforth meant renunciation and one long struggle to hide his trouble from the world. But the girl whom he had selfishly drawn into the darkness of his sorrow with him, she must not be made to suffer more than he could help. He must try to make her happy, and keep her as much as possible from knowing what she had missed by coming with him. His lips set in stern resolve, and a purpose, half prayer, went up on record before God that he would save her as much as he knew how. Lying helpless so, she appealed to him. Asking nothing, she yet demanded all from him in the name of true chivalry. How readily had she given up all for him! How sweetly she had said she would fill the place left vacant by her sister, just to save him pain and humiliation! A desire to stoop and kiss the fair face came to him, not for affection's sake, but reverently, as if to render to her before God some fitting sign that he knew and understood her act of self-sacrifice, and would not presume upon it. Slowly, as though he were performing a religious ceremony, a sacred duty laid upon him on high, David stooped over her, bringing his face to the gentle sleeping one. Her sweet breath fanned his cheek like the most imperceptible fragrance of a bud not fully opened yet to give forth its sweetness to the world. His soul, awake and keen through the thoughts that had just come to him, gave homage to her sweetness, sadly, wistfully, half wishing his spirit free to gather this sweetness for his own. 
and so he brought his lips to hers and kissed her his bride yet not his bride kissed her for the second time that thought came to him with the touch of the warm lips and startled him had there been something significant in the fact that he had met marcia first and kissed her instead of kate by mistake it seemed as though the sleeping lips clung to his lingeringly and half responded to the kiss as marcia in her dreams lived over again the kiss she had received by her father's gate in the moonlight only the dream lover was her own and not another's david as he lifted up his head and looked at her gravely saw a half smile illuminating her lips as if the sleeping soul within had felt the touch and answered to the call with a deep sigh he turned away blew out the candle and left her with the moonbeams in her chamber he walked sadly to a rear room of the house and lay down upon the bed his whole soul crying out in agony at his miserable state kate the careless one who had made all this heartbreak and misery had quarrelled with her husband already because he did not further some expensive whim of hers she had told him she was sorry she had not stayed where she was and carried on her marriage with david as she had planned to do now she sat sulkily in her room alone too angry to sleep while her husband smoked sullenly in the bar-room below and drank frequent glasses of brandy to fortify himself against kate's moods kate was considering whether or not she had been a fool in marrying the captain instead of david though she called herself by a much milder word than that the romance was already worn away she wished for her trunk and her pretty furbelows her father's word of reconciliation would doubtless come in a few days also the trunks after all there was intense satisfaction to kate in having broken all bounds and done as she pleased of course it would have been a bit more comfortable if david had not been so absurdly in earnest and believed in her so thoroughly but it was nice to have someone believe in you no matter what you did and david would always do that it began to look doubtful if the captain would but david would never marry she was sure and perhaps by and by when everything had been forgotten and forgiven she might establish a pleasant relationship with him again it would be charming to coquette with him he made love so earnestly and his great eyes were so handsome when he looked at one with his whole soul in them yes she certainly must keep in with him for it would be good to have a friend like that when her husband was off at sea with his ship now that she was a married woman she would be free from all such childish trammels as being guarded at home and never going anywhere alone she could go to new york and she would let david know where she was and he would come up on business and perhaps take her to the theatre to be sure she had heard david express views about theatre going and she knew he was as much of a churchman almost as her father but she was sure she could coax him to do anything for her and she had always wanted to go to the theatre his scruples might be strong but she knew his love for her and thought it was stronger she had read in his eyes that it would never fail her yes she thought she would begin at once to make a friend of david she would write him a letter asking forgiveness and then she would keep him under her influence 
there was no telling what might happen with her husband off at sea so much. It was well to be foresighted. Besides, it would be wholesome for the captain to know she had another friend. He might be less stubborn. What a nuisance that the marriage vows had to be taken for life. It would be so much nicer if they could be put off as easily as they were put on. Rather hard on some women, perhaps, but she could keep any man as long as she chose, and then she snapped her pretty thumb and finger in the air to express her utter disdain for the man whom she chose to cast off. It seemed that Kate, in running away from her father's house and her betrothed bridegroom, and breaking the laws of respectable society, had with that act given over all attempt at any principle. So she set herself down to write her letter, with a pout here and a dimple there, and as much pretty gentleness as if she had been talking with her own bewitching face and eyes quite near to his. She knew she could bewitch him if she chose, and she was in the mood just now to choose very much, for she was deeply angry with her husband. She had ever been utterly heartless when she pleased, knowing that it needed but her returning smile, sweet as a May morning, to bring her much-abused subjects fondly to her feet once more. It did not strike her that this time she had sinned not only against her friends, but against heaven and God-given love, and that a time of reckoning must come to her, had come indeed. She had never believed they would be angry with her, her father least of all. She had no thought they would do anything desperate. She had expected the wedding would be put off indefinitely, that the servants would be sent out hither and yon in hot haste to unbid the guests upon some pretext of accident or illness, and that it would be left to rest until the village had ceased to wonder and her real marriage with Captain Leavenworth could be announced. She had counted upon David to stand up for her. She had not understood how her father's righteous soul would be stirred to the depths of shame and utter disgrace over her wanton action. Not that she would have been in the least deterred from doing as she pleased, had she understood, only that she counted upon too great power with all of them. When the letter was written, it sounded quite pathetic and penitent, putting all the blame of her action upon her husband, and making herself out a poor, helpless, sweet thing, bewildered by so much love put upon her, and suggesting, just a hint, that perhaps, after all, she had made a mistake not to have kept David's love instead of the wilder, fiercer one. She ended by begging David to be her friend forever, and leaving an impression with him, though it was but slight, that already shadows had crossed her path that made her feel his friendship might be needed some day. It was a letter calculated to drive such a lover as David had been, half mad with anguish, even without the fact of his hasty marriage added to the situation. And in due time, by coach, the letter came to David. End of chapter 8